the free for all roundtable. Round two. On round two, Deb Hutton is here, former advisor to two Ontario premiers. Michelle Morrow is a music teacher. Bob Richardson is senior counsel at National Public Relations. Uh, what a 24 hours it has been. Let me start with somebody who Hello. has been in government when the government has been negotiating for good and bad with public sector unions. Um, Deb Hutton, you know, this is going to be a pretty dramatic day. The government's going to introduce a contract, an imposed contract. They're going to cancel the union's right to strike. The union won't say it in so many words, but there are rumblings. They may go on strike anyway on Friday. Um, any way you slice it, it's a pretty tense morning. Any way you slice it, my kids are going to suffer, period, full stop. And that's what makes me crazy. I heard Jerry Agar on your show just a few minutes ago, and I'm with Jerry. Enough is enough. Listen, when you have a position that is in that 7 to 8% wage increase versus 33 to 34% wage increase, you're never going to reach a deal. Never. And from what I understand, the unions have not come down off their 11.7% increase every year for the next three years. So kudos to Stephen Lecce. And honestly, I think it will be a massive mistake, not only for QP if they go on strike on Friday, but for the entire set of negotiations coming forward, including with teachers, because I will tell you, parents have had it. And kids have had it, and I'm done with it. Okay, let me turn to Michelle Morrow. And worth mentioning, one of the reasons why to some people from outside it seems that this particular union is making unreasonable demands is they're trying to get some of the lower-paid workers to some level of parity that recognizes the value of the work that they're doing. And I'm talking about, for example, uh, people who work with special needs kids who have to wear protective equipment, and they can't leave the kids for even 30 seconds. And that is pretty disastrously paid work. Agreed. Um, I think we're at the point where a strike will always look bad and it will turn people off of the support for um, the people who are striking. I'm 100% with Deb. A lot of parents are tired. But I do feel like the uh, a lot of these workers are underpaid. And when we have no other way to show how valuable their work is except for payment, um, I don't know what else to do. I think they should be paid more. I don't want them to go on strike. So I'm in that weird spot where I agree with both sides, but yet I want everything to change, but yet nothing to change for the kids. Okay, let's turn to Bob Richardson. What say you? Uh, look, uh, either uh, either teachers and, and education workers have the right to strike or they don't. We're kind of in this weird uh, uh, space where um, neither is true. So I think we we need to make a decision. Uh, and if uh, and if uh, and if people aren't allowed to strike in the education sector, then there should be binding arbitration. Uh, and that, and then the government has to live with those sort of outcomes. You can't tell people they have the right to strike except for the time when they want to strike. Um, at the same time, I'm with them too. Enough is enough. This particular union too as well in the grouping of education uh, uh, public sector unions has always been one of the most difficult. And by the way, I'll give them credit for one thing. They've been bad to deal with, whether you're a new Democrat, a liberal or a conservative. <laughs> So uh, they've been uh, nonpartisan in that regard. But uh, at the end of the day, we do have a decision to make. Are we going to allow people the right to strike in the education sector? And if we are, then we have to abide by that. And if we're not, then let's change the rules and move to binding arbitration. Okay, let me stick with you, Bob Richardson, as we pivot to another issue, and that would be uh, Peter Slowly, former chief of the Ottawa Police Force, was testifying on Friday, and sometimes... 
tearful about how he felt that he was unfairly put into a position of paralysis. Uh, he'll be back today. I don't know what kind of ground they plan to cover today, but uh, if anything, I think the word dysfunctional, not of him, but of Ottawa police and other departments came to mind as I was watching that stuff unfold on Friday. Yeah, I, it was it was not a great day for the Ottawa police. It sounded like it was dysfunctional from the inside. It sounded like he was not exactly welcome as the new chief by by the senior command there. At the same time, I have to say he he did sound uh, like he was out of it a bit, almost in, in terms of the uh, in terms of the urgency around ending this thing and um, and and moving to prevent it from become escalating. So I don't think he comes off looking very good. I don't think the Ottawa police come off uh, looking very good. And quite frankly, I don't think the integration between OPP, RCMP, and Ottawa police comes off looking very good. And Michelle Morrow, it, it, you know, Bob has made an interesting point, which is if Peter slowly admits they thought about calling on the army in week one, why did it end up going three weeks before we came up with another solution? Agreed. It's kind of funny uh, as a complete outsider, I, I have this probably movie version of like something hits the fan and they pull out a binder and they know how to handle it. And there's all these outcomes that they can walk through and things they can rehearse and get ready for. Should this happen? And it seems like, that only exists in the movies. I, I don't. I don't know why there seem to be. Everyone seemed to be so at odds. And Bob's right. Like everyone comes off looking terrible, and yet, and yet, I hope we go forward and we learn how to deal with. If hopefully this doesn't happen again, but should this happen, we have things in place to how to deal with it properly. But I'm worried it's just all, all going to get lost. And Deb Hutton, I'm sure you've had this experience. The older you get, and especially I'm in media, you've been in politics and communications. Uh, you know people personally. So I felt bad for. Peter slowly watching him on Friday, but at the same time, in a more clinical way, he was not the right man to do that job. No, absolutely not. And and what I found troubling listening to the testimony last week, John, was that there didn't seem to be even consistent intelligence. And while I know intelligence is sort of uh, an art, not a science, there's evidence that they weren't even reading the intelligence, let alone the fact that the intelligence was so varied. So if it wasn't so serious, it actually would have been funny because it, it is like a, a Keystone Cops kind of thing. There was not uh, coordination. Uh, I found it appalling, by the way, that one of that police would think that the, one of the tactics that they could use was to have the government negotiate. I mean, that's rule number one. When there are protests against your government, you do not sit down with them until the protest is over. Mm-hmm. So I just, I found the whole thing uh, really yeah. sad. You give me a great idea. I want to go, go get some footage of the convoy protest and put the Benny Hill music over it and see what happens. <laughs> okay. Um, a new law has passed, and it's only going to apply in New York City, but apparently it is in other jurisdictions, and who knows, maybe it'll spread. The idea is this. You advertise a job, you must give the parameters of the salary publicly. And Michelle Morrow, I'll start with you on this one. What everybody fears, of course, is the people who already work for a company will say, but that's the job that I have, and I make 20% less than the, low, you know, the lower threshold. Yeah, I, I I work for myself a lot. Um, and then I also work for a school and the uh, director of the school is very open what people make. We all make the same salary except for me because I do private lessons. I make a little bit more. And people who come in from outside of Pickering, they get to get a travel allowance. And so everything is on on uh, is out in the open and it makes it very easy for us like there's no oh you make more because you teach this and that for me is the norm and so I, I i can see how frustrating it could be for people who are like i don't know what anyone else makes how am i supposed to negotiate and it 
that's what I hear a lot is saying, oh, you don't make as much? Oh, it's because you didn't negotiate. You didn't go hard enough. And it's like, but if we don't know what the parameters are, then how are we supposed to negotiate? We can't go in X amount too high and have be laughed at or be completely shut down. So I think this is completely a good thing, but I will acknowledge I am not in the corporate system. Yeah. So maybe I am just dreamy and think it's a good thing. Well, and Bob Richardson have often said in certain sectors, what you make is the difference between what they offer and what you're afraid of asking for. Yeah, no, I think there's no question about that. I, I, I think uh, I, I think a little more transparency in this area would be a good thing. Also, let's stop wasting people's time. Sometimes, you know, uh, there are these ads out there. They're very attractive. People spend time, energy, and effort to uh, apply for positions, et cetera, and then find out it's twenty or $30,000 less than what they're making today. Like, I think if there were some parameters, uh, I think it is, uh, show some fairness towards the uh, applicant, uh, and at the same time, set it up in a manner that that, that the business, where the you know the, the business also has an opportunity, you know, for some uh, for some uh, negotiation. But a little transparency w- wouldn't hurt here. I wanted to move to, I have an abiding preoccupation with urban mythology and conspiracy theories. And when it comes to the break-in in in Nancy Pelosi's house, where her husband was attacked by a madman with a hammer, uh, it became clear fairly quickly that the guy who attacked with a hammer was kind of a QAnon nutcase, that he was one of these guys who's obsessed with the idea that the Democrats are running child molesting rings and stuff like that. Uh, Deb Hutton, on the weekend, people were trying to bolster that theory by circulating bogus evidence and bogus stories. And Elon Musk sort of lent his support on this first weekend where he was running Twitter. That, for me, tells me that Twitter's probably going to heck in a handbasket, but also that Elon Musk is is so eccentric that he's not the right guy to be running that. Well, except I don't have $44 billion, so nor do you probably, John. So oh, I'm I mean, he gets there. He gets to he gets to buy what he wants to buy. I mean, I was hopeful. We discussed it last week on on a couple of the panels. I was hopeful that what we would see would be less censorship, more fairness, more balance. Unfortunately, it, the pendulum may swing the other way, and therefore Twitter will continue to be irrelevant for the people who don't think they're represented on it. But Bob Richardson, the other issue is this conspiracy theory school of thought, and it seems to be marshaled mostly by the right against the left in the United States. Things like that Hillary Clinton has dementia, um, the Pizzagate scandal where the Democrats in a pizza shop had kids hidden away, and now the idea that um, Nancy Pelosi's husband is a closeted gay man who just had a a tryst go wrong, which is, you know, there's, it's not true. It's not that you can't, you know, oh my goodness, well, let's consider the other argument. It's bogus. Yeah, and I thought it was hugely disappointing to see Elon Musk do that. I thought, you know, I'm not a fan of Elon Musk, but I thought he would be uh, brighter and, frankly, more intelligent than uh, than doing something like that. I, I gather he did take the tweet down, but the damage was already done. So, uh, yeah, I th- there's too much of that on the right. And then there's nobody there's nobody who's prepared to to. Uh, uh, too much of that on the right, and then there's also some wackos on the far left too as well. Let's not forget that. But uh, there's uh, leadership needs to accept responsibility in the states. Uh, the principal leaders need to accept responsibility in the U.S. and turn the volume down. 
Thank you all very much. Good to have you. It's uh, just in the last dying seconds of our time on the air, but 9 o'clock news and Jerry Agar picks it up on the other side. Keep it here on News Talk 1010 for every last development today in the dispute between the government and the education winners. Or losers. I mean, workers. Oh, I got to go see a therapist now. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.